This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. The new UFC flyweight champion is nobody. Could a Canadian be getting a UFC title shot this year? The Virginia Athletic Commission gives Texas a run for their money. Israel Adesanya and Zhang Veli look to defend their title for the very first time, and the UFC is reportedly heading to Saskatchewan in June. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa, or to those who subscribe to the podcast. Please leave your comments, reviews on iTunes. We always appreciate it. And you can reach out to me at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter, at Bazooka Joe V. If you want to reach out to Joe, who is not here this week, he's just getting back from glory in the Netherlands, and I didn't want to bother him. You know, that's a long trip, jet lag, all that. So I'm giving Joe the day off. I didn't even ask him if he wanted to come in today. He doesn't have the option because he's got to, uh, you know, relax. Got back into town yesterday. One day turnaround, I'm leaving uh, tomorrow for Las Vegas. So, you know, these things happen in the TSN MMA show. So we have a new flyweight champion, or do we? We do not. Circumstances uh, obviously preventing there from being a new flyweight champion as Davis and Figueredo fails to make weight on Friday. First guy on the scale, Joseph Benavides, makes weight. Last guy on the scale, Davis and Figueredo, weighs in at 127.5 pounds. Two and a half pounds over the flyweight championship cutoff. So where do we go from here, ladies and gentlemen? That's the question. And the UFC have a lot of decisions to make. And, uh, you know, I, I just hope that Davis and Figueredo didn't blow it for everybody. Because I think that it's going to be a long road for the flyweight division to continue in the UFC. And I hate to say it because I love the flyweight division. I've always loved the flyweight division. I think they put on exciting fights. But the division had been pretty much whittled down to nothing to a point where they didn't have enough fighters on the roster to fill up the 15-man rankings. They've started to repopulate it a bit. In fact, there was a report that a fighter from Russia, uh, I believe it was the flyweight champion of Fight Nights Global, is signing with the organization. Now, whether or not he fights at flyweight or bantamweight is uh, to be seen, but uh, he is the flyweight champion, so you'd imagine that he's going to try to fight at flyweight. They signed uh, Askar Oskarov last year. It looks like there are still some things keeping this division together, but Dana White visibly upset that Davis and Figueroa didn't make weight. The worst-case scenario for the UFC, of course, is Figueroa beating Benavidez in that instance because the title's still vacant. It's not like the UFC's you know, cheering or championing uh, Somebody else winning, but when you have a fighter that loses weight, or sorry, that misses weight for a championship fight and then, lo- and then wins, that's uh, not a good look for the promotion and not a good look for the division, especially a division that's been rumored to be on the chopping block at one point in time. You know, last year they had rumor, there were rumors uh, going around that they were looking through a flyweight tournament to uh, determine the next champion, that Cejudo was going to relinquish the belt and they want to have a tournament in order to, to determine who the next flyweight champion would be. Instead, they decided to just, uh, you know, have Benavidez face uh, Juicy Formigia, who had beaten Figueredo. Figueredo then went on to get another win. Benavidez beats Formigia, ends up being lined up with Figueredo for the vacant championship. And now we have the result. Again, not a good one for the UFC because we still have a vacant title. But... That just makes it easier for the UFC to say, you know what, we're going to call it a day. Demetrius Johnson, we traded him away to one championship. Ben Askren's gone. Basically, every last remnant of this division 
is history. You know, Cejudo has relinquished the title. He's up at bantamweight now. We have no champion. Demetrius is the only other champion in the division's history. And looking back at the history books, there's just nothing left for us to do here. You know, the, the, business, is, uh, the business is shutting down at flyweight. I don't think that's going to happen, but there's obviously a chance. I think if you look at what we know and the knowledge that we have, this was a division that was kind of uh, hanging on by a thread. And the last thread might be that Figueredo missed weight and won the fight, and now we still don't have a, a flyweight champion. Do they want to continue to invest in this division? That's the big question. And I honestly think that Joseph Benavidez, being the guy that he is, the, the, the classy individual that he is, lives in Las Vegas. He's at the PI all the time. He's one of the most well-liked, well-regarded fighters, I think, in the history of the UFC. If, you know, everybody, Conor McGregor never tweets about other fighters for the most part. Tweeted, good luck to Joe Benavidez. You go on Joe Benavidez's uh, Instagram and you read the comments and it's just, you know, positivity all around. Even his post-fight speech where he said, you know, everybody is going through problems and, you know, mine's right here now on display. But he's putting everybody before him. That's the kind of guy he is. If, you, if you've met Joseph Benavidez, you know what kind of a human being this is. He's, a, he's just a nice guy uh, and a very well-liked guy and one of the best fighters to ever fight at, at both bantamweight and flyweight. You know, he was a, he's been a per- perennial top five challenger and top five ranked fighter in both of those divisions since he got to the WEC, had that huge win over Miguel Torres that put him on the map. And since then, he hasn't looked back. Now, he hasn't won a championship. He's been in four championship fights, if you include his WEC tenure. And he's lost all of them. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But Benavidez is regarded so highly by those in the promotion that like I think that the part of them wants to keep this division around just because they don't want to upset Joe. Not not that not that they're they're not trying to upset him for per se, but they just like him so much that they want to see him thrive. And I, I don't think anybody would admit to that. But if you know the reputation that Joe has within the promotion and within uh, the the community, it you know it wouldn't surprise me if just him cont- competing at flyweight is one of the reasons why they've kept the division around. And that just speaks volumes about him as a guy. Now, I don't have anything negative to say about Figueredo as a person. I, I've never been able to converse with him because he doesn't speak English. I always love speaking with his translator and manager, Waleed Ismail. But, you know, I, I don't know Davis and Figueredo as a guy. I don't think that the UFC are beholden to Figueredo. Now, Figueredo's come out and said he'd like to have a rematch with Joe for the title, and he wants to show that he can make weight at International Fight Week, UFC 252, this July in Las Vegas. And I, I can almost guarantee that Benavidez would take that fight. But let's look at the circumstances as to how Benavidez lost, because I think that that's worth mentioning as well. You know, I was listening to Ariel Hawani's show today, and he had mentioned that he thought that the clashing of heads was the fault of Joseph Benavidez because he was leaning into his punches. Now, when you assess fault and you have a situation where it's unintentional, fault kind of doesn't matter. Like It doesn't matter who initiated a clashing of heads. The heads clashed. It wasn't intentional on either party. So if you're the referee and you see that there's a big cut open over the eye of one of the fighters, I think you need to jump in and call a timeout. 
You need to call timeout and say, bring in a doctor. You know, if you think that it was a, a clashing of heads, and I think that it was pretty apparent. Like, you know, before the first replay rolled out, I said it looks it looked to be a clashing of heads, but that's not clear right now. Of course, you go back to the replay, and now suddenly it's clear. So I think that the referee needs to be on top of these kind of things. Step in, call a timeout, because there was enough time before Figueredo landed that big right that uh, finished the fight against Benavides, where the referee could have st- stepped in, you know, initiated the protocol, brought in a doctor to look at the cut, found out if Joe was okay to continue, because if, he was, if he's not, it's a no contest, and of course the title remains vacant regardless in that situation. But you give Joe a minute or two, and as well as Figueredo, because we don't know if Figueredo was impacted at all by the clashing of heads. But you give them a little bit of time to step away and say, you know, like, what's going on? How are you feeling? And then let them get back into this fight organically. Because I think that that clashing of heads, without that happening, Benavidez doesn't get knocked out in that situation. Now, Benavidez was throwing some strikes somewhat recklessly. I'm sure he would admit that. But I think that judging by what we saw, it's very difficult to assess the situation as to what could have happened if the referee called a timeout. Now, we had a, a bit of a legislative nightmare in Virginia. First, there was that, uh, if you want to go back to the officiating, there was Iwan Kutalaba against Magomed Ankalaev. And the referee stops the fight when Kutalaba, according to you know his words and his vantage point, was playing possum, essentially. He was acting wobbled to try to throw off Ankalaev. Now, as I said on on Twitter, you know, it's nice to try to fool your opponent, but it's risky because you could fool the referee. And that's what happened. Kevin McDonald jumped in and stopped the fight because he thought that Kudalaba had taken too much of a a beating. Now, listen, you look at the replay. Kudalaba's blocking kicks. Kudalaba's fighting back. That's great. You can look at the replay until the cows come home. Referees are human beings that need to assess situations second by second, moment by moment, millisecond by millisecond even. And when you see him block kicks, they could still be getting through. You could still be getting hit in the back of the head, in the temple. That would wobble you. And a referee doesn't know if a guy's playing possum. He has no idea. You might be able to detect it. Who knows? But if you're acting wobble to try to throw off your opponent and you throw off the referee, that's on you. I hate to say it to Iwan Kutalaba because that was a bad stoppage. I'm not going to argue the stoppage. It's a bad stoppage. That fight shouldn't have been stopped. Kutalaba was firing back. A lot of the strikes for Ankalaev were missing, but... Just remember, in real time, if you were if you're telling me that you were watching it in real time and you said, oh, Kudalaba's, you know, he's playing possum. He's acting wobbled. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. These things are easy to figure out in hindsight. But when you look back at a replay, it's, it's different from what's happening in the moment. And while I don't think it was a good stoppage, the referee has to make a second-by-second judgment call as to when the fighter is in danger. And in that situation, he thought that Kutalaba was in danger. And if you think that Kutalaba is in danger and that you know, you're trying to protect the fighter's long-term health and safety, then it's well within your right to step in and stop the fight. And that's what he did. And I can't necessarily... Fault him for doing that. Do I think it was a bad stoppage? Sure. 
And a lot of people thought that Aspen Ladd versus Jermaine Durandame was a bad stoppage, but Herb Dean sees her get turned around. She's on all fours. She's stopped. That's a judgment call. In hindsight, you can look back and say maybe he stepped in a little bit too soon. I think this situation is the same thing. Because what happens if he really was wobbled? Ankalaev throws a head kick, knocks the guy out, gives him a concussion. That's what Kevin McDonald was probably thinking second by second. I need to step in here and stop this before this fighter's long-term health and safety is in jeopardy. That's their job, is to protect the fighters. He's trying to protect Kudalaba, and then Kudalaba's like, what are you doing, man? I was just pretending. It's like, well, sorry. You know, like, you can't... You gotta remember the risk of doing that. The risk of doing that is that if you're convincing enough, which apparently he was, because when you look at the tape and you look at the replay, it doesn't look like he was legitimately wobbled. And you can see that because when the referee stops it, he like, looks at the referee like, what are you, crazy? We're standing up here. But it's impossible to know that in the moment, in that second. Just impossible. So people that are giving Kevin McDonald a hard time, like, let's just put yourself in his shoes for a second because while it was a bad stoppage, again, I, I don't think it was a good stoppage. Even if he was wobbled, I don't think it's a good stoppage. If he was legitimately wobbled, not a good stoppage. You can't stop in there. The fighters are both standing. Kudalaba's throwing strikes. He hasn't really been hit by anything. He hasn't been dropped, really. Again, a judgment call. And his judgment was wrong. He made the wrong determination in that moment. But, again, looking back at it after a replay, you know, and then saying it's awful, one of the worst stoppages ever, I mean... Have you seen Leandro Silva against Drew Dober? Like, go back and watch that and tell me that that's not, that that's not as bad of a stop or a worse stoppage than what we saw. Or not as bad of a stoppage, rather, than what we saw this past weekend with Enka Live and Kudalaba. Go back and watch Leandro Silva versus Drew Dober. And then tell me what you think. If you think that that stoppage is better, is a better stoppage than the Kudalaba stoppage, you're out of your mind. There have been bad stoppages. Many of them. And I think Kevin McDonald is a much better referee than Eduardo Hurdy, who stopped that Dober and Leandro Silva fight, which was actually overturned to a no contest. The rare time where uh, a fight outcome is overturned to a no contest because it's that bad of a call. This is not going to get overturned. No shot that this gets overturned. Zero. If it does, I'll eat my words. But I don't think that there's any possibility of that fight being overturned. And an appeal is also coming in in the uh, Spike Carl, Carlisle and uh, Alan Cruz fight because of the thought that Carlisle used 12 to 6 elbows to finish that fight. And I don't think that one gets overturned either. But be that as it may, that was one thing. But I think the worst part in terms of uh, the legislative standpoint of this entire card wasn't the, uh, the clashing of heads not being, you know, prompting a timeout. It wasn't Kudelaba versus Ankalaev. It was the scorecards that were submitted by the judges. Now, people are going to say in the future, oh, that was the worst scorecard I've ever seen. I will send them the scorecard from the bout between TJ Brown and Jordan Griffin, if they ever say that. Because a judge gave, now you're not going to believe this. Now, you can rewind this afterwards because you're going to want to listen back to make sure that what I'm saying makes some sense. Because it's not going to make sense to you because it makes no sense whatsoever. A judge gave T.J. Brown the second round, 10-9. Now, you know, that's, that's something where, okay, well, you know, a judge can give a bad 
uh, a bad round. We saw back in Texas earlier in the month, Joe Solis, or I guess last month now, Joe Solis gave Trevin Giles the first round against James Krause, where Krause essentially had his back for four four uh, rounds, and that's a terrible, or four minutes rather, and that's a, that's a terrible scorecard, 10-9 Giles. This is far worse, and I'll tell you why. And again, you're probably not going to believe this, but bear with me for a moment. A judge gave T.J. Brown a 10-9 round in a round where he was choked unconscious and lost the fight. The fight was stopped by the referee. It's not like when I say he lost the fight, I don't mean that the ref missed something and then it went to the bell and went to the third round. The fight was stopped. It was ended. The referee lifted Jordan Griffin's hand via second-round submission, and a judge gave T.J. Brown a 10-9 in that round. Because per the commission's policy, you have to score the round even when it ends. Even if a fight ends in that round, you have to score that round. And I guess the judges were on to something later on because they started to give 10-7 rounds, which is still absurd because a 10-7 round is a lopsided round, but the round ended. The fight ended in this round. Give it a 10 nothing. I would, I would refuse to even give a number. Why are you judging a round where the fight is over? Like, you, you can't, they're not writing the score mid-round being like, okay, 10-9 right now, let's see, let's see if this guy changes, turns the table, it's going to be 10-9 for the other guy. No, no, no. They want you to, sub, to judge the round of a fight that has ended. The fight ends in the second round. They want you to write 10-9 or 10-7. Makes no sense. Like, get rid of that policy. I don't, I don't care if it's your commission policy. Get rid of it. It doesn't make any sense. So we had a judge give T.J. Brown a round where he was choked unconscious and lost the fight. You're not going to see a worse scorecard than that. Ever. Ever. (laughs) Good luck. Tell me if you see a scorecard that's worse than that in your life. In your life, have you seen anything like it? No. I hope never again. A fighter won a round where they lost the fight. Officially lost the fight. What? I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff in this sport. You have to see some crazy stuff if you've been following MMA for enough time. I mean, we saw a sequence where three consecutive winners were the Alpha Ginger, Violent Bob Ross, and Native Psycho. Those were the three nicknames. Not in that order. I think think Griffin actually won before Pena. So it was... The Alpha Ginger, Native Psycho, and Violent Bob Ross. Three straight nicknames. And that was maybe the fourth craziest thing that we saw that night in Virginia. 10-9, TJ Brown in the second round is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in MMA. And again, I saw less than 10 years ago, there was a guy in a pink Speedo fighting a guy with an arrow shaved into his chest. Like, that's not as crazy as this, as TJ Brown winning the second round. A man in a pink Speedo, Dennis Hallman, fighting Brian Ebersole, who has an arrow shaved into his chest. And that's not the craziest thing that I've seen in MMA, because now I've seen TJ Brown win the second round of a fight that he actually lost in that round. If you call TJ Brown right now and say, do you think it's crazy that a judge gave you the second round? He would say yes. And if he's said anything else, then maybe he should be a judge in Virginia. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you, could be, you can ask the most biased person towards T.J. Brown, T.J. Brown himself, and he would say he lost that round. You could ask his parents, if, if they're both still alive. If not, I, I apologize for disrespecting you. You could ask his siblings. I don't know if he has any siblings. 
You can ask people related to him. You can ask his next-door neighbor. You can ask his training partners. You can ask his manager. You can ask his manager's wife. You can ask his children if he has children. Who do you think won the second round? Well, it wasn't the guy that was choked unconscious and lost. I'll tell you that much. Co-main event, Felicia Spencer wins via first-round TKO against Zara Fern. And for some reason now, we've got a debate. Oh, who should get the next title shot at featherweight? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. No, it's not a great question. It's a dumb question. Megan Anderson had a fantastic knockout. I'm not taking anything away from Megan Anderson here. Great knockout against Norma Dumont, which sounds like a, a character from Downton Abbey. Uh, Mrs. Dumont's coming over for tea. You mean the 30-year-old Brazilian woman with a 4-0 record? Right down the pipe, Megan Anderson, right hand. I believe it was right. Knocks out Norma Dumont. Fantastic knockout. One performance bonus, like knockout of the night. So, good for Megan Anderson. I mean, Team James Krause had a good night. He had back-to-back wins, Grant Dawson and Megan Anderson. Good on them. However, it's February of 2020. And in May of 2019, in Rochester, New York, in her UFC debut, Felicia Spencer submitted Megan Anderson in the first round. So if you think that a two-fight win streak beating Zara Farron, who Felicia just beat in the coming event, and Norma Dumont, a 4-0 fighter, gets a title shot over someone who went three rounds with Cyborg and actually had a pretty valiant effort, and the person that actually beat Megan Anderson in the first round, if you think that Megan Anderson deserves a shot over Felicia Spencer, you're out of your mind. Now, I know that Megan Anderson might be a bit more marketable than Felicia Spencer. You know, she contributes to ESPN broadcasts. She's done some stuff with Invicta. She was highly touted coming to the UFC. Not that Felicia wasn't. She was the Invicta champion. I think both of them were Invicta champion at some point, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to go back and look, verify with Megan, because I know Megan was in Invicta at the same time as Cyborg. But I think she won the belt after Cyborg had left for the UFC. Yeah, I'm not 100% up on my Invicta history off the top of my head. But you cannot give Megan Anderson a title shot over Felicia Spencer. I'm sorry, you just can't. You might think it's going to be a more exciting fight because you've got two striking-based fighters, although Nunes does have very good grappling, but you could say, oh, it's going to be way more exciting. Well, that doesn't matter. Does that matter? you think that matters? You just can't, you can't give her the shot. I, again, I, no disrespect to Megan or her team or anything like that. I think Megan has to admit to, to you know, that we know what happened with Felicia Spencer. It's, you can go on UFC Fight Pass and watch it. It's available. It happened. So you can give it to the fighter who is 2-1 in the UFC with a win over Megan Anderson, her lone loss of her career coming to Chris Cyborg, Followed by a first-round win over Zara Farron, which Megan Anderson also did great, whatever. You have to, like, if you compare resumes, there's just, there's no question. You also have Megan Anderson with two losses in the UFC. She lost to Felicia and she had lost to uh, Holly Holm. 
And Carly Holm was taking her down pretty much at will. Do you think Amanda Nunes won't be able to do that? Nunes is probably closer to a 45er than Holly Holm is. If you want to look at, like, who's, who's the bigger fighter. So it looks like at UFC 250, this was reported by Kombat, and uh, if you're following along with Amanda Nunes on Twitter, it seems like that's the direction they're going in, is having Nunes defend the featherweight title. Now, <laughs> lucky for the UFC, it didn't look like Spencer or Megan Anderson left with so much as a bruise. So whoever they go with is going to be fine to compete, <laughs> unless like they got injured in training or something. But, I mean, those, those were pretty much cakewalks. I mean, you know, Felicia took a couple of shots on the feet, but as soon as that got to the ground, like, you know... It's like throwing someone in the water who couldn't swim. Like, she just couldn't swim. Felicia Spencer won the fight easily. So, uh, you know, like, let's be real. Call it, let's call it for what it is, as they like to say. It should be Felicia Spencer getting the next shot. And I know that we're a Canadian. I'm based in Toronto. This is TSN. It's a Canadian network. I'm not trying to be biased here. I'm just trying to call it like I see it. If Megan Anderson was Felicia Spencer and had the same resume as Felicia Spencer, and Felicia Spencer was Megan Anderson and was Canadian, I would still say that... Now, I'm, I'm just confusing myself here, but I would say that Megan Anderson deserved the shot if she was... Actually, if it was Felicia Spencer with Megan Anderson's name. I don't know if you're following this. You might have to rewind this part, too. Hit rewind and see if you can follow along with me. Not as com- complicated or confusing as TJ Brown getting around to on one of the judges' scorecards against Jordan Griffin. It's not that confusing, but it's, it's a little bit confusing. I think you know what I'm saying. That resume should get the title shot, regardless of their name. Because there's just nobody in this division either. Like It's not like they had, there are a whole lot of choices here. You have two choices right now. It's going to be Megan Anderson or Felicia Spencer. And Felicia Spencer has a win over Megan Anderson. Like, seems, the story seems to write itself. And when Felicia Spencer was on Ariel Hawani's show today, she said, well, I, didn't, I don't know why there's any debate. She's right. I don't know either. Why is there a debate? Because someone had a nicer knockout? <sighs> really? That's like, that's the debate? If people get nice no- who get nice knockouts get title shots, like maybe Michelle Paheja should have gotten a title shot after his debut over Danny Roberts. It was a beautiful knockout. Fantastic. That's just not how title shots are determined. Otherwise, maybe Peter Yan should be getting the next bantamweight title shot rather than a guy with a coming off a loss. Back-to-back losses if you really want to be accurate. And I get it. I get why Jose Aldo is getting the shot, but I mean, like, are you gonna, so, so you're going to give Megan Anderson a shot. You're going to give Yoel Romero a shot. Not that Megan Anderson's coming off of a loss. She's on a two-fight win streak, but I mean, we got to have some sort of, you know, we're living in a society, as George Casanza says. we got to have some sort of order here. All right, Israel Adesonia in the main event, UFC 248. I keep, keep thinking it's 238, 248. These numbers just go by, just like life. You know, the, the days go slow, but the uh, years go fast. Now just change years to UFC numbered events, and that's a new expression. The days go slow, but the UFC numbered events go fast. We're already at 248. UFC 248, headlined by Israel Adesonia. Israel, Israel Mabolaje, Temitayo, Odua, Oluafemi, Oluwale, or I got I think it's Obuwale, Obuwale Adesonya against Joel Romero, the soldier of God. 
That's a fun main event. And again, I, you know, I realize that Yoel Romero is coming off a loss. In fact, looking at Yoel Romero's le- uh, resume right now, he's lost three of his last four. Two to Whitaker, one to Costa. Now, a lot of people think that he won that Costa fight. And a lot of people think that he won that second Whitaker fight, me included. I, I, I gave the last fight to Costa, but I, I do think that Romero beat Robert Whitaker in the rematch. But uh, Israel says, I want to fight Yoel Romero because he's the scariest guy in the division. And you have to respect that. I mean, and right now there's not really a true alternative contender. If Paulo Costa's out with an injury, you know, you could probably pick from a line of guys. You could pick Romero. A Cannoneer's injured right now, but would have been healthy at the time where they were going to make this fight. You know, Darren Till's having visa issues. Gastelum's already lost to Israel and, and lost to Darren Till. You don't have a whole lot of options here. Yoel Romero's kind of like the the best of the rest, the last man standing. So they give it to Yoel. I think it's a, just a fun fight. But I do think that if Yoel Romero does not use his wrestling, he's going to lose this fight. I think that Yoel Romero does have the power to put anybody out. But as he gets older, that power is not going to be quite as good. We saw Paulo Costa withstand it for three rounds. If this is a striking fight, you have to give a, a big advantage to Israel Adesanya. Israel might be the best striker in the UFC. In terms, of tech, like in terms of his technique, in terms of his variety, his arsenal. He might be, have the best weapons in the UFC in terms of stand-up fighting. Now, if I'm forgetting somebody, feel free to point it out to me on social media. But, I mean, Izzy's is about as diverse a striker as you'll see in the UFC. So, you know, if this fight's on the feet for five rounds, I think Israel probably wins this fight. But if Yoel is somehow able to get this to the ground and, you know, use his strength to keep Israel down, anything can happen in this fight. And also, Yoel's power is always a wild card. He's just, you know, if he hits, if he connects and hits Israel, you know, he's going to, he can knock him out. He has that ability. I just don't think Yoel Romero is going to be fast enough to give Israel any real problems on the feet. I mean, look at his fight with Kelvin Gastelum. I think Kelvin Gastelum behind Israel is the fastest guy in the division in terms of striking. He's got fast hands and he moves quickly and he moves in unorthodox fashion. Yoel's going to be bigger, he's going to be slower, and I think Israel, in terms of the striking game, is going to be able to hang with him and, and, and defeat him there and score a knockout sometime within the five rounds. If not a knockout, win the decision. But uh, I, think that we'll, we'll, I think the likely scenario is that Israel gets a knockout at some point during those five rounds. I don't think Israel's going to tire out over five rounds. I think Yoel might, although Yoel... Yoel, what he tends to do is take a round off. Like, if, if he's... If he's going five rounds, you'll see one round where he's very low output and just kind of like regaining. And it's a smart move because if you're a guy who relies on power and wrestling, sometimes it's okay. You lose one of the five rounds. If you think you've won two or even won one, take a round off and try to win the next two. But that had happened in the rematch with Whitaker, and it didn't, didn't do him any favors. That being said, if he wouldn't have taken the round off, he might have lost. He might have gotten tired out. So uh, I, I just can't wait for this main event. I think it's going to be a really exciting fight. Co-main event, Zhang Vei Li against Ioanni and Jacek. Zhang has one career loss and hasn't lost in some time. I think she's only fought, what, three times in the UFC? Four times in the UFC. Win over Danielle Taylor, unanimous decision. Armbar victory over Jessica Aguilar. Decision victory over Tisha Torres. Has anybody ever stopped Tisha Torres? I'm going to go back and look at this. I don't think Tisha Torres has been stopped. Like It seems like she goes to decision in every fight. Decision, decision. She had one rear naked choke win, I remember, over Juliana Lima. I was at that fight covering it. And every other fight has gone to a decision. Wow. So she's never been stopped. 
So Zhang Feili wasn't the one to do it. Um, and then a 42-second knockout over Jessica Andrade, of course, the most uh, memorable and uh, biggest win of her UFC career thus far, the one of the title. And, I mean, title aside, it's still the biggest, the, the, the biggest highlight reel she's probably had in her entire career. And now she's going to face Ioanni and Jacek. And, uh, you know, if you look at Zhang's striking background, like she's more of a wushu sanda fighter. And then you look at uh, the credentials that Ioana Janjacek, I think you have to favor Janjacek in the fight. I just think that she's a more accomplished striker. And that if this stays on the feet, which most Ioana Janjacek fights tend to do, that Ioana's going to have uh, the upper hand in this fight. I think over the course of five rounds, we don't know how Zhang does in the championship round. She's never been there before. We saw how much energy she burned in just that one round against Andrade. Because I don't think she thought that was going to go five rounds. I think she wanted to go for the stoppage, and she knew that Andrade was going to go for the stoppage. So she may try to maintain her gas tank a little bit more in this fight. If it does go to five rounds, in Jacek fights typically do go five rounds when they are scheduled for five rounds. Nami Yunus fights aside, and of course the ones that Joanna's gotten stoppage wins in. But I think if you go five rounds with Joanna and Jacek, that it's very unlikely you're going to win three of those five rounds. That is if it's the Joanna and Jacek of old, and I think that uh, you have to assume that she's probably back to that level. You know, she needed that win to... Get uh, get her mojo back. She got that win against Watterson. Lost to Shevchenko last, uh, or sorry, in December 2018, and a win over Tisha Torres in July of 2018. And now she's going to try to win back her title. And if you look at the division from start to where it is now, Joanna's held the title for more days than every other champion combined. Joanna is the strawweight queen, and uh, Zhang Veili wants to be the heir to that throne. And uh, that, no better way to do that than to beat the queen herself. But I think it's a, it's an uphill battle for her. I think that's going to be a tough one. Um, and I think that Zhang is uh, kind of the new breed of fighter right now in the UFC and uh, looks like she's a, a force to be reckoned with. We're kind of close. Benil Dariush also on the card. Neil Magny against uh, Li Jinglang, the leech. Alex Oliveira, Max Griffin, that's a fun one. Jose Quinones against Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley making his return to the UFC after a uh, a lot of... Is he on this card? I guess he is on this card. I thought it got moved for some reason. Maybe it was supposed to be somewhere else. But uh, Sean O'Malley back in action having uh, a lot of issues with USADA and uh, the pulsing effects of, uh, of a banned substance. I think it's been Osterine that's, that keeps showing up in the system. And now the uh, you know USADA's changed the rules a little bit about uh, minimum allowances, thing along those lines. Minimum threshold, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. And O'Malley's allowed to compete. It's ten and zero. I think he's the only undefeated fighter outside of Israel Adesanya on this card. Oh, actually, Rodolfo Vieira in the very next fight, mind you, is uh, is undefeated. Rodolfo Vieira, BJJ wizard against Saperbeg Safarov. It's going to be at 185. I think this is Safarov's first fight at 185. I'm going to go and check that. Has he fought at 185 before? Light heavy, light heavy, light heavy. I think this must be Sapper Big Safarov's debut at uh, middleweight. He's actually fought at heavyweight before. First time at middleweight against uh, Rodolfo Vieira. Very tough, uh, tough ask in his first middleweight fight. And uh, another undefeated fighter. Sorry, I'm really dropping the ball right now. Mark O'Madson against Austin Hubbard in the very next fight. A tough matchup for Hubbard. Mark O'Madson considered uh, one of the more decorated wrestlers in the, uh, the UFC and uh, an, an up-and-coming fighter despite his advanced age. Emily Whitmire against Pollyanna Vienna. That's a fun one at strawweight. Guido Canetti against Dana Batgarel from Mongolia. 
Jamal Emers and Giga Chikadze, both of these taking the fight on short notice. Emers stepping in to face uh, Amiv, Ramazan Amiv, who recently got into an, a motorcycle accident, and Giga Chikadze taking the place. I think Mike Davis was supposed to be facing Amiv, if I'm not mistaken. Let me go and just double-check that. I don't want to get these things wrong, right? I mean, you guys are relying on me for a, to be a valuable source of information here, a reliable source of information. Yeah, Mike Davis. I was, I was correct. Look at, look at that. So Emmer steps in for Mike Davis to face Giga Chikazi, a glory veteran. And uh, the first fight of the night, Deron Wynn looking to bounce back from his first career loss. So I wasn't, you know, he's not undefeated. If, you want to, if I want to give myself a pat on the back for that against Gerald Mearshart, should be a, an interesting fight. Mearshart, uh, one and three in his last four, but had that nice uh, guillotine choke submission over Trevin Giles. Back at the UFC on ESPN 5. Trains uh, with the folks at uh, Rufus Sport. And Deron Wynn, of course, the uh, protege of Daniel Cormier. I'm going to take a look at the odds quickly and uh, tell you if there's anything that stands out to me. I mean, I know that uh, Ioana's an underdog, and I think that's certainly worth a look. If you're looking at, for, at this card from a perspective of, uh, of the lines, Ioana plus 160 right now. I think that's an incredible value. Um, Sean O'Malley, a big minus 380 favorite. I actually like... Quinones is a fighter, but O'Malley, I think, like, in the amount of time that he's been away, I know he's going to have a little bit of rust potentially, but it looks like he's really improved. Like, if you saw him at the uh, the grappling uh, tournament, it wasn't Polaris, it was the EBI. If you saw him at EBI, you'll know that his grappling has really been stepped up to a high level. And, uh, you know, Kinona is a solid grappler in his own right, but I think O'Malley's the better striker as well. So that's a so that's a a lot a lot to uh, put on O'Malley, but I, I don't think that uh, I, I would avoid it. I would avoid that one because of the the rust potential rust rather. Don't know for sure if he's going to have some rust, but he has been out of action for about two years, if I'm not mistaken. Neil Darius minus one seventy over Drakkar Close. This should be a close fight, pun very much intended. Li Jinglang minus 165 against Neil Magny. That's an interesting one. I, I don't know if Jinglang should be favored in that fight. Neil Magny is a very, very crafty fighter. And we've seen situations where Li Jinglang fights fighters like that and gets flummoxed a little bit. So that'll be interesting. Alex Oliveira, cowboy, minus 150. Hopefully he does better than the last cowboy to fight in Las Vegas. Max Griffin, plus 130. Another uh, fun one. That's actually... Very similar to the last two fights. It's just very competitive. Last two fights that I discussed. Mark O. Madsen, minus 220 against Austin Hubbard. I think Madsen has a lot of advantages in this fight. I think that uh, Hubbard's a, a solid fighter, but I think uh, Madsen's going to be a little bit too much for him. Uh, Rodolfo Vieira, the biggest favorite on the card, minus 800 against Saperbeck Safarov, who's plus 550. Uh, Duran Wynn, minus 145 against Gerald Mearshart. I would imagine that if Win that last fight with Win just never took place, he would be probably a minus three hundred favorite in this spot. So uh, take that for what you will. Uh, Pollyanna Vienna, very small favorite over Emily Whitmire. Giga Jakadze plus one forty five against the uh, newest addition to the card, Jamal Emmers. Emmers a, a very solid fighter, has uh, been very successful on the regional scene for some time. And uh, Denab Batgarel minus one thirty five against Guido Kennedy at the mine, at the plus one fifteen. Kennedy coming off of a big win that basically kept him employed in the UFC. So this is a, a solid. This is a really competitive card. 
It's one of those ones where you look at it and it's like, wow, there are a lot of fights here where I really just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, those are the ones that I, I, I love to watch. A report from uh, MMA Fighting's Stephen Morocco came out on Friday that the uh, UFC is reportedly going to be heading for their first trip in 2020 to Saskatchewan. Saskatoon, to be specific, on June the 20th. So uh, that's exciting, but it brings back a really very sad memory for me. And that is the original Saskatoon card. Where we unfortunately saw a fight between Max Holloway and Charles Oliveira. Think of where they're at right now in their careers. A fight that I was dying to watch. Two of my favorite fighters to watch in UFC history. I love watching both those guys. And it ends by like a, a freak injury that Oliveira suffered early in the first round. Like, that was a heartbreaker for me. I still remember watching that and being like, oh my God, I hope they run this one back. Please book a rematch. And it hasn't happened. Ah, That'd be a great first fight for Holloway. If Holloway, for whatever reason, is unable to defeat Volkanovski in Australia and decides to move up, I would love to see that fight get rebooked. Have his first fight back at 155 be against, I guess since losing to Dustin Poirier, be against Charles Oliveira. If, if Charles Oliveira is still on the same kind of momentum that he has right now, he's going to have to beat Kevin Lee in order to maintain that momentum. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting fight that I thought would have been a lot of fun if we got to see it play out for a little bit longer. But unfortunately, we did not get to see that. And we might never get to see it again. So Saskatoon, when I think about the UFC in Saskatoon, it just brings back a sad memory. Maybe they should just rebook that fight for Saskatoon. Max fighting that month against uh, Volkanovski. We're going to pull you from the title fight. We're going to put you against Charles Oliveira in, uh, in Saskatoon to make it up to the, to the good people of, uh, of the province of Saskatchewan and, uh, and surrounding regions. We just think we owe it to them. So we're going to pull Max Holloway from his title fight in Australia. We're, we're going to put him against Oliveira because Aaron Bronstetter suggested this, and that's why uh, we're, we're going to do that. That's not going to happen. But one can dream. So I'm looking forward to covering UFC 248 in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be a, a very eventful card. And I, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with uh, Israel Adesonia and Yoel Romero. Apparently, Paulo Costa will be cage side for this fight. So we'll see uh, if he gets in the cage right afterwards. That'd be uh, interesting to see. And then uh, the week after, what do we got? It would be uh, March the 14th. I think it's that great Brasilia card, actually, speaking of Charles Oliveira. It is, the weekend after. Whew. That's one of the best fight night cards they've had in some time. That's a, whew, that's a, a banger of a card. I'm just going to tease everybody here who's listening to, about this UFC Brasilia card. I'm pulling it up right now as you can hear me tapping away on this keyboard. Kevin Lee, Charles Oliveira, Maine. Demi and Maya, Gilbert Burns, Comain. Elizu Zaleski dos Santos coming off a loss against taking on uh, Alexei Kunchenko. Renato Moicano against Demir Hadzovic. That's an awesome fight. Johnny Walker looking to bounce back against Nikita Krylov. That's going to be a, a war. Juicy Formija against Brandon Marino. I mean, these, these fights, it just keeps coming. 
Hani Yaya against Enrique Barzola. Barzola loves to initiate the wrestling. Is he going to do that against Hani Yaya? Only time will tell. Marina Moroz against uh, Mera Buena Selva. Okay, now we're starting to get into the uh, the part of the card where, you know, you start to lose my interest a little bit. But Gustavo Da Silva against David Dvorak. Anybody? That's a flyweight fight. Huh. Interesting. I've never heard of either of these guys. Unless they fight under different names. Yeah, I guess there must be new signings. A good sign for the fly- flyweight division. We talked about this earlier. Got guys getting signed. We're going to have more than 15 people in the division. They're going to have to continue. I actually suggested something online on Twitter for the flyweight division. They should do one of those Phoenix Rising cards. You have a eight, eight-man tournament. The first two fights, they fight three times in one night. The first two rounds are one-round fights. So you just, the, the, the judges just determine the winner from one round. If there's a finish, there's a finish. And whoever gets the fastest finish gets to choose their next opponent. It's a great format. And then uh, in the finale, you do three rounds for the you do three rounds for the title. Now, whether the UFC would do three rounds for the title, maybe they do five rounds for the title because it's only one round fight. But I mean, <laughs> fighting seven rounds in one night does uh, does not sound like a lot of fun. But uh, I I just love that format. And uh, Invicta's doing it again this weekend. Actually, I think it's Phoenix Rising three for Invicta. Uh, Veronica Macedo against uh, Bea Malecki, also on that Brazilian card uh, in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. And uh, Randa Marcos against Amanda Rebus. The first fight of the night, and that's uh, uh, some Canadian flavor to the card. If you uh, don't include Kevin Lee and Johnny Walker, who are both training in Montreal. So uh, that's that. That's, uh, that's going to be exciting. And we're looking forward to how that goes. So uh, that's a wrap for us. This is the TSN MMA show. And uh, we'll be back next week. I think Joe will be in town, so uh, hopefully Joe and I can recap what should be a very exciting UFC 248 card in Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.